0: This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, and this is podcast 37, I think. Uh, and with me, again, uh, in Toronto, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey.
1: Hey, good morning, John, and everyone. Uh,
0: Johan Edobow in mm-hmm. uh, Sweden. Hello, Johan. Good afternoon. Yes, yeah, afternoon here, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Afternoon for you and me. It's morning for Corey and Hiroyuki. And Hiroyuki in in New York. Hi Hiroyuki. Hi, everyone. Um Yeah, so so uh Corey wrote a pretty terrific and cogent um piece. And I just want to turn it over to her to, to begin this talking about that. There's a lot to talk about this week, but um Corey.
1: Okay, so I'll get right at it. Um, okay, here we go. This is not, this is just a post uh, I shared on Facebook, which I'll probably today or tomorrow make into a lengthier article with all the sources. Um, anyway, here I go. Um, both psychologically and physically, in every hidden crevice across every imaginable realm, children and youth have been the most impacted and the most damaged by the global lockdowns. Behind the lockdowns, the Fourth Industrial Revolution architecture is being implemented, a new era to which Deloitte posits the question, who will survive, who will perish? Each passing day, children and youth are being conditioned to adapt and endure the transition to a virtual existence. As human bonds are slowly yet deliberately being eroded and severed, children are encouraged to bond with technology. We bear witness to the psychological damage inflicted to the most vulnerable of our society under the guise of saving lives. Willful blindness does not make this any less true. Today, I would like to call attention to the experiment on the physical bodies of children that is about to commence. Mm -hmm. Within this single year, 2021, Salesforce and all intend to vaccinate 2 billion people. Over the coming years, the world's most powerful corporations and and institutions intend to vaccinate every person on earth. This includes children and infants. This is a permanent program ushering in digital passport surveillance and a new data economy global and scale. By the age of 18, the average person is defined by at least 70,000 data points. This global experiment also serves as the bedrock of fourth industrial revolution biotechnology going forward. Gene editing is the new eugenics. Most governments in the world now fully function as an arm of corporate power. In this way, ruling class aspirations in emerging markets are now able to advance in ways like never before. With the median infection survival rate from COVID-19, an impressive 99.77%, children from the onset have proven to be largely impervious to the virus. In fact, babies and children are far more at risk from the seasonal flu which we do not blink an eye at. This presents a major problem for COVID vaccine uptake. Why would parents choose to inject their babies and children with experimental vaccines for protection against a virus that does not pose a risk to their health, a virus which their immune systems protect them from? Of course, a rational parent would not. Here the question becomes how to create vaccine uptake for a demographic that is not at risk. The answer is media manipulation, emotive-based, coupled with fear of variants, newly discovered syndromes, and the leveraging of regret. Media flooding our collective psyches with fear, confusion, and panic. Outside of physical force, there is no other way for the desired uptake to be achieved. Let's take a look at. Let's take another look at the high-level com- vaccination communication manuals. Um, these are quotes, three messages that have been used effectively by vaccine hesitant communities are choice, regret, and control. Scholars suggest these might be flipped to reduce vaccine hesitancy. Paul Slavik, PhD professor of psychology at the University of Oregon and founder president of decision research suggested the potential effectiveness of regret. When do you regret if you did not get the vaccine and your loved one got ill and you had decided not to get it? Heidi Larson pointed out how the regret angle is an important, um, is really important to leverage because it's something that parents really struggle with. Um, and that's from page 26 of the UN Verified Guide to COVID vaccine 19 um, communications, released November 18, 2020. Here's another quote Judging events or situations to be risky can also lead to fear, worry, and anticipated regret all of which have been shown to be associated with the intention to accept the offer of vaccination. Among these anticipated regret, when people expect that an unpleasant future outcome would lead them to wish they had made a different decision, shows promise as predictor of intention of intentions and behavior. And then here's the last quote. If people perceive that they are at low risk of contracting COVID-19 or that the consequences of becoming infected will not be severe, they will be less willing to get the, to get vaccinated. And that's from the WHO Technical, technical Advisory Group on Behavioral Insights and Sciences um, in a meeting held last year on October 15, 2020. Okay, so back to my writing here. In the coming weeks, as events continue to unfold, we must resist media and ruling class manipulation. We must be cautious and retain our capacity for sound judgment and critical analysis. And here's what's gaining speed. A study published in The Lancet suggests that multisystem inflammatory syndrome in children, MIS-C, is a newly identified and serious health condition associated with COVID-19. Despite overwhelming evidence based on data that COVID-19 rarely turns fatal for children, about 1,300 babies have died from coronavirus, according to a BBC report. Most know full well that BBC serves as an efficient propaganda machine. One needs to look no further than the White Helmet's propaganda outfit, incubated by purpose, financed by UK government, etc., to observe how children are used to exploit, manipulate emotions, to achieve acquiescence and even demand from the citizenry to um, the Western citizenry, to bomb and kill whole populations, to gain support for imperial conquest or corporate objectives. Such marketing is egregious and depraved, yet often the most effective in cutting through fierce resistance, expected or existing. Veteran journalist and documentary filmmaker John Pilger describes the White Helmets as a complete propaganda construct. Um, articles on the COVID virus and variants now said to be impacting the health of children and youth have begun to roll out. Language is key, and here are the emotive headways and say- Um, Headlines incite anxiety, empathy, and fear. Such headlines include massacre of children, babies dying, COVID carnage, humanitarian catastrophe. And then people can look. I have about um, 10 or 15 articles that I found very, very quickly. Um, So that's there. Uh, Many of these articles quote Dr. Fatima. Um, Marino, who is Marino. In 2008, she moved to Washington, D.C. to work at the Pan American Health Organization, coordinating the information and health analysis project. Um, since 2012, she served as an advisor for the Regional Health Observatory at, at PEHO. In 2014, she returned to work at the Ministry of Health in Brazil. PAYHO is the Latin American arm of the WHO, a division of the United Nations, which partnered with the World Economic Forum on June 13, 2019, and is located in Washington, D.C. Um, sorry, in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Here among the sa- sensationalists, uh, sensationalist, alarming and emotive headlines, it is important to recognize what they hope you will overlook. Massacres of, young, of children, babies dying, humanitarian catastrophe have been happening in countries Facing imperial aggression or occupation for, decade, um, for decades and centuries, including the present. Look at Yemen, for example, Haiti, um, Haiti, another, the Congo. There is zero outcry from the media unless it is framed as an act of the targeted, demonized leader or government. It is also important to note that both Brazil and India are in partnership with the World Economic Forum at the helm of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which are emerging markets. Fourth Industrial Revolution centers are now operational in both countries. I'm almost done here. Those who don't know history are destined to repeat it. We've all heard on that. There is one more asp- important aspect of this I wish to recall and touch base on. In 2020, it was reported that the World Health Organization had hired Hill and Knowlton strategies to, quote, help it develop a baseline measurement of public awareness and perceptions and create message messaging strategies to build trust. And that's from PR week um, last July. Recall that the WHO partnered with the World Economic Forum to create the COVID Business Task Force. The task force was launched in partnership with over 200 corporations on March 11, 2020, the same day the WHO declared a pandemic. In 1992, an emotive marketing campaign would garner the approval rating required to launch war in Iraq. The story manufactured and deployed by Hill Milton was this. Iraqi soldiers were removing babies from incubators, placing them on the freezing floor to die. It was a lie to ignite the global war on terror, which today, after decades of fear-induced indoctrination, has completely vanished, having been replaced with the global war on virus. The media is an instrument of the ruling class wielded at their leisure to serve their agendas and aspirations while conditioning the populace and normalizing the obscene. If we lack or reject this understanding, it is most certain that our chains will remain intact. The end.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, when I first read that, I was struck by the the babies torn from incubators. I went back and watched that testimony, mm. um, and it's you know it's. In retrospect, it's a terrible performance, you know. Um, but but uh, it's a it's a funny thing I find to remind people about that. Say, but but you know, the government hired a, a Madison Avenue marketing firm, advertisement firm, to sell the war, and that's one of the ways they sold it. And yet. Today, when somebody says to you, um, there's an agenda here that is, um, has little to do with, with the medical, uh, you call them a conspiracy theorist, Mm -hmm. you know, how does that work? So, so the, the, the babies torn from incubators, um, lie, you know, expensive and well-coordinated lie, um, had no impact on, on. On your thinking at all. I mean i find this extraordinary. Um, Yellowcake and Niger, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, there are so many of these of these government, you know, very conscious, created, manufactured, paid for lies via firms like you know, Hill and Knowlton, Ruder Finn, etc. Um, and yet it seems not to have made much of a dent in, in public consciousness. And 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 I don't know why that is. I have no answer for that. Um, mm-hmm. Johan. Yeah, okay, sure. There, there's a lot of things to, to
2: to hook into here. And I think your initial statement here, Corey, that we're seeing a, a major experiment on the physical bodies of children, I think this holds even for the attempt uh, of this kind of digitalization as well, there's a, there's a German neuroscientist or a brain researcher or whatever who's called Manfred Spitzer who wrote a, a really great book called Digitale Demenz, uh, Digital Dementia, basically, which details how how this digital environment uh, <clears throat> has a profound effects on, on the brains and cognitive uh, functions of very young people, especially if they are... Uh, exhibit if they are if they encounter these things before the brain is fully developed i think that's something we need to take into account as well
0: yeah um i don't know i mean the the this past week um has has been a really depressing week i find um i have found uh, from the statements uh, in Canada, you know the the lockdown, the Doug Ford performance, and and the rest of the people um, uh, in Norway. Here, uh, the the government uh, I don't you know the the they're theoretically opening up the country, mostly, although they're not opening Oslo yet. And but this is accompanied by this this drumbeat warning. Um, but if you know, if if there are you know, as if, if if variants appear, if these things happen that that warrant locking down again, we will lock down immediately. So people are living with this anxiety now that everything can be snatched away again. You know, right now it's like, yes, you can go out to dine, but the numbers Mm -hmm. of people are limited. And it, you know, it's medical nonsense. If it, if five people are dining in the, the, the restaurant or there's, you know, 25, I mean, it has no medical relevance whatsoever. The whole thing is, is this, is this, kabuki performance it's it's just something i would never have believed possible a couple of years ago never never in my wildest you know dystopian fantasies could i have envisioned this level of stupid having this level of traction it's just mind numbing um johan yeah Yeah, uh,
2: but i think this. This creation of tension and fear. I mean that's that's basic uh, social control strategy in a in, in a very, very fundamental way. And I think that's somehow the answer to why there is and there isn't more organized dissent lies in 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 that very, this very phenomenon of, of the creation of tension, of fear and of uncertainty, which is also amplified by this uh, giving us the carrot and then removing it. I had a, a, an experience this week I'd like to share. Uh, I saw this statement. I usually frequent these anti-authoritarian left-wing groups on Facebook. And I encountered the statement that was in defense of what they thought was the proven total safety of of all the COVID vaccines, I think. And the statement was to the effect that sure, we we must question authority, but you can't question expertise for expertise is always legitimate authority. And I I was struck by by the the radical ignorance of this statement because I mean, this very approach is way more trusting than, than any medieval peasant were in relation to church authority and this is taking into account that the church authorities in, in certain contexts were imbued with divinely mandated infallibility so i mean you have a kind of a kind of blind trust in authority that's at the level of small children in relation to their parents before they attain the age of reason yeah. and yeah. how do you argue against how do you get through to these people how how do you how can you argue against this this
0: uh, a person in this state well you know i mean that i that's it's a really good point and and i oddly enough as i was working on my blog post this week uh i found myself reading alice miller chunks of alice miller's books again uh about parenting and about parental authority and and um uh it it resonated um hugely because this is western societies are have never been this infantile it's 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 breathtaking and and uh it's a it's a it's a significant factor in all of these things we're we're discussing i think is the infantilization of of the public um hiroyuki
3: yeah so I think th- this is just, uh, uh, this is not just one thing. I guess there are many layers, uh, the, uh, the underlining um, uh, situation, of course, is uh, we have authoritarian um, uh, structure that's really forcing uh, people to internalize uh, the, uh, the decrees and all that. And um, on top of that, this is a war mobilization and uh, once war is declared, uh, the discussion part is over. You you know it's it's either you win or lose. And if we, if you dissent, you're a tra- traitor. You you know it's a treason, and you know you could be um, yeah. prosecuted. So yeah. um, this is a this is a really really um, uh, sinister um, situation, um, and it's it's a war against the people. You know we are the targets well there's no question and and um
0: uh my anecdotal experience has been that my my circle of friends in in california in los angeles and i mean i haven't lived there really full-time in in 20 years although i've been back a couple of times but i stay in touch with people and people in the theater and film industries and, and, and artists I know. And my experience has been that uh, part of the conditioning that led to this uh, lockstep acceptance of, of the entire pandemic narrative was Donald Trump. Was this disproportionate nearly hysterical hatred of Trump, and it, it colors their, you know, the political map they have in their head. And, and if you, the first response invariably, when you question, when you voice skepticism about the COVID story, the first response is, oh, you sound like a Republican, you sound like a Trump supporter. Uh, you sound like a fascist. And and that you know, one has to kind of deconstruct that for them piece by piece, and is usually not very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, the the liberal bourgeoisie, the white liberal bourgeoisie, I think in general has has wholeheartedly accepted the narrative. Um the least compliant states in the US to, to restrictions and mask wearing and social distancing and all of this other stuff. The least compliant are states like Wyoming, Montana, Texas, Oklahoma, um, the Rocky mountain, the, the rock ribbed Republican, but old school, um, uh, Republican conservative, really, uh, uh, population that distrusts government in general and the most compliant have been um, big urban centers um, New York, Los Angeles San Francisco, etc. So I mean this is not I think not unimportant when when we break all of this down and in Europe I don't know Europe remains a bit of a, a mystery to me I have to say the the I've been shocked by what has happened in Norway which, is sliding very rapidly toward fascism as far as I'm concerned um, it, it, people here um, want more restrictions nobody nobody has complained there's no resistance to it at all. Uh, Denmark in my understanding is much the same the Netherlands uh, so so the resistance there is resistance but it is um, it is dwarfed by the number of people that are that are um, embracing and lining up for vaccination and everything else um, to do with this that that want the restrictions that fear for their health that fear for their children et cetera et cetera et cetera um, Yeah, Johan. Yeah, and if we put that in context, I mean, Norway has
2: Sweden has like ten times the the official death rate per, per capita of COVID than Norway has if we count in population. So I I don't really I don't get why that's the situation over there. I was also thinking, Corey, about this uh, this uh, it's a really great list of quotes uh, touching on on the concern for children and the the disproportional disprop- risk they seem to be facing our young people and children. And this is, I think, really th- this is very devious because <clears throat> if if you believe that there is at least, some plausibility to this uh, to this risk being being detailed i mean then you're going to be rational in in doing whatever you can to protect your children from this if, if, even if there's a minor possibility of, of this being true
0: yeah Corey.
1: Mm-hmm. just sort of following up on what you were saying about um you know the belief in this in this in this Effective storytelling. I, I think Malcolm X was right, you know, when he said they put your mind. I'm I'm paraphrasing something. They put your mind in a bag and they take it wherever they want. You know, um, that's what's that's what they're doing, and it's really effective. I mean, even not only is it criminal and, and rec- reckless to um, experiment on children when they are not at risk from this virus um even with an almost what is it 99.77% um um what do you call it recovery rate for infection right. that that shows us our immune systems are badass right they're working they're doing the job it's not a conspiracy it they've they've actually reframed your entire immune immunity as conspiracy you can't trust your own body Right. right, only only they can save you. Right, um, so that in itself is crazy. I mean, as very much so as um, pollution um, affects, um, deteriorates our bodies. Mind pollution is deteriorating our critical thinking capacity.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I I I can only speak firsthand my firsthand experience is exclusively Norway of course because I haven't been allowed to leave Norway uh but I have seen an increase uh in mask wearing I think I said this last time an increase in mask wearing as as uh COVID cases have declined it's it's the more COVID case, <laughs> cases decline the more people feel compelled to wear a mask uh and and when you think about it that's not entirely surprising i don't think uh and and you know i keep coming back and i said this in in the recent blog post that adorno's um analysis of of anti-semitism which was extensive of course along with with horkheimer and, and Marcuse and, and all the rest of the frankfurt school uh is very much to the point here and and the 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 way in which people will follow this this authority um just without without any particular knowledge and and of course you know the role of experts as johan mentioned earlier i mean has become you know the specialist and and the role of science and and the slogans like trust the science and and now they are rolling out a seemingly endless roll call of celebrities. J Lo. I mean, certainly, if J Lo tells me um, the vax is safe, then I should believe it's safe. I mean, it's just. But but that's that's the world. That's the culture that that we find ourselves in. Yeah, Corey. I'm
1: um, just speaking to the experts. So there's Team Halo, which is a project to UN Verified, which is Purpose of As and the Vaccine Confidence Project. Um, at the University of London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and Gavi, um, with support from Luminar, Luminate, which is um, Omadar, IKEA, Global Challenges, and the UN Foundation. It's in partnership with TikTok and Facebook, and then that's, um, you know, basically acknowledging that they need um, influencers and celebrities and experts, right, to push the, to push the this agenda, right? And so... Even though recently, again, since April, you see um, an increase in the discussion um, basically presenting the need for children to be vaccinated. And you have doctors on this Team Halo Twitter account saying they acknowledge that children um, rarely ever, I I think there's just a few um, cases in the world where children have died with COVID since inception. They acknowledge that they there's almost zero risk. But how about, they acknowledge the risk is minuscule, but then they say how much, but zero is better, zero, right? Let's get to zero, zero cases. I mean, there's no way ever to have zero COVID cases ever going forward, right? That's impossible. And so this is um, a permanent program. The vaccine is not a one-time, two-time thing. It's a forever thing. It's replacing the polio vaccine which in 2019 was one of the main um, discussions at who, what would replace polio because the whole world has been vaccinated with that. And that's now pre- pretty much a dead program. Um, you know, and that, that in turn caused all kinds of, what is it now, I, what is it? I think wild polio is eradicated and now the, all the new polio cases are actually from the vaccine right, which they don't tell you, you have to read peer reviewed papers for that information. So that's not truthful. And then just about um, getting to zero, zero child deaths, instead of 10 child deaths in the world with COVID, we'll have zero. Meanwhile, we have millions, hundreds of millions of children dying from lack of access to clean water and sanitation. No one cares. Right. I want to swear, but I told someone yesterday I wouldn't. So so all the family could listen. Um, it just really makes me angry. I mean, it, it's so blatant and yet people are sucked into this.
0: Um, Johan.
2: Yeah, just to put it in context, I mean, you have basically about a hundred children under the age of five die every day in Yemen. And that's a, a small population, totally speaking.
0: Um, it's interesting that um, my mother had a mild case of polio when she was young. So I never got the polio vaccination uh, because I was immune. That's just a sidebar that has no relevance to anything. But I thought I would share it. Uh, there is clearly I mean, the, what's interesting about all of this and, and I, 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 Corey has her hand up. Um, but what's interesting about this is. Uh, to me right now is the endless uh, statistical contradictions, the misinformation that you know the CDC and who puts out and and the sort of constant um, uh, redefining of cases, the constant redefining of statistics and uh, it's almost impossible it is not it's totally impossible to really follow you can't you can't um there was an article in new left review actually i think i quoted it in the blog post uh that concluded with well we will never really have definitive numbers about any of this because all the data has been um too unreliably assembled and it doesn't matter it just doesn't matter to people and this is, I mean, I keep coming back to the fact that that the entire COVID narrative, meaning especially lockdowns, the use of the term, invention of the term lockdown, borrowing from prison, the 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 ridiculous rituals of social distancing and mask wearing, and and I don't know how many uh, studies there have been proving masks. Uh, are if anything harmful rather than protective it doesn't matter none of this matters because this has taken on a a purely symbolic kind of allegorical um, uh, role in people's lives and it's it's it has reached the point where when you suggest to people okay look there's also This is cover for this great reset thing. And this is out in the open. It's not a secret. It's not, you know, um, something that that the ruling class or the World Economic Forum is hiding. It was the cover of Time Magazine, Klaus Schwab, and all these people are spelling it out for you very clearly. Uh, This doesn't matter either uh, because, you know, I don't know. Uh, because it, everything has become ahistorical, and and this this social amnesia, as Jacoby put it, is now is is now just ubiquitous in in Western societies, and so it it becomes about this kind of role of identity politics, as it were. And I hate using that term, but. This has become it has come to have an extraordinary influence on how people orient uh, their role in the world. And and it's part of why there has been um, such a surprising uh, acquiescence to to these new restrictions and rules. And again, there clearly are people that don't buy it. There are clearly, you know, hundreds of thousands of people Um, everywhere that that are protesting and rejecting the narrative and and disputing it and yet for the people that are the believers none of this makes a dent at all in their belief Um, johan
2: yeah and we've been talking about this previously but yeah it seems that the the that which shapes the environment of information and people's perceptions has been shifted towards this level of symbolic interaction and and almost myth uh, and i think this was realized by the the adbusters of the early 2000s and and they tried to respond in, in basically like appropriating the, these um, these tools and techniques and uh, trying to create counter symbols counter memes to to uh, disrupt these uh, these narratives and I don't know if that's like a viable strategy, mainly because uh, nobody has access to the, the major media channels except the, the major corporate interests. So, uh, but, but it's an interesting discussion to, to touch upon, I think.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, we were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording about the interview that Mark Crispin Miller did um on this woman's podcast, I guess, or show. And it was very good. I mean, there were things I I strenuously disagreed with, but but basically uh I, I thought he made some very um perceptive observations uh and and one of them being about Bill Gates and and you know be nice to just excise that chunk of the interview uh, where miller talks about gates because it's it's as good a description of the manufacturing of the new bill gates image um as anything as anything i have seen and um it's it's something that i wish more people um were aware of that story um, yeah corey
1: Yeah, Mark definitely deserves a lot of support. He's been through a a lot in the past year. Um, I just wanted, following up on that discussion of Gates, um, this whole thing, there's just um, no doubt at all that this, the whole vaccine thing serves as the backdrop to biotechnology, um, the whole industry going forward, and getting people used to getting injections, getting these shots, right, which is never-ending. And I just wanted to draw attention to um to some to a clip out of a, it's called the Chatham House Futurescape. 20 in this chapter is 2060 to 2090. And I just wanted to mention um Emma Sansom who, who sent this to me, who drew my attention to it. Um, anyway, in this it's animated, um really high-end sort of show I'm not sure what it's called on the internet and you can go through it, it takes quite a while to get through it all and um in the chapter 26 29, it, it there's a big picture it shows this new city what the city will look like and in the background there's um a, you know massive um screen on a building and it's a baby crawling a human baby and it says um genetic engineering, ask your doctor, right? It's about engineering human (laughs) babies. And and then it said, it even states, technology has transformed healthcare to make us more resilient to disease and viruses from implants that monitor our health to genetically engineered newborn babies. We will live longer, healthier lives. And, And this whole thing like this, as you go through from 2021 to 2035, um, there's a big emphasis on how we will be testing, testing, testing for COVID. Um, another indicator that this is never going away, that this is, you know, basically how we keep it, keep everything going. Um, and to do that, to do that, we will, um, like Hiroyuki was speaking to, it will be constant war on people and that, that fear that will never end. Um, but in this whole um, future scape you can see it, it's very, very anti-human, very, very anti-nature, right? Everything is um, concrete. Um, even the people have no, no facial features. They are bodies, right, um, with no face. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there might be a couple of faces, but overall, all the characters, even though so much money and detail has been put into this, the people are, have been created as objects and you have great big steel, um, tunnels with, um, some, you know, butterflies and moss on it. Not, um, very, very few trees. The, the message is that, um, Western science is superior to nature, right? Technology, which is the enemy of nature is superior to nature, right? right. And so it's very, very anti-nature, anti-human. A- and then just, sort of jumping off of this, there's a recent paper um, going forward to pass the New Deal for Nature this year. Now it's been moved up to November, I believe. It's been signed just by well over 700 corporations, maybe over a thousand, maybe it's higher than that now. Um, Johan, you had seen that article. I saw you um, speak briefly to it in a conversation. Um, anyway, that's coming. That's a um, uh, part of the Great Reset, the fourth industrial revolution that's rolling out that people have really missed. And I'm not sure if they're just so uninterested because of our dis- disconnect with nature that's, you know, been been growing um, the nature deficit, you know, disorder that's sort of taken hold across the Western world. People either aren't interested or just don't acknowledge it or I I don't know, but it's a huge part of what's of the Great Reset is the global restructuring of the economy and the financing, the monetization of everything alive. And that actually includes humans and social capital. Everything will be monetized, um, you know, and traded, sold, bought and sold on Wall Street that those that have destroyed the planet will now
0: own it. Right. Well, yeah, and this is really pertinent, I think. Uh, Here in Norway, if I, and I rarely do engage people with this sort of discussion, but when I do, the response is, and, and this is true in the States too when I talk to people, the a very common response is the they will question why i think these people's intentions are bad why i think klaus schwab's intentions are in quotation marks bad why i think bill gates intentions are bad and uh if if you say well let's just look at how much gates owns how many corporations and 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 ngos and organizations um globally he owns controlling interest in if you talk about the just obscene level of wealth that um uh, jeff bezos or elon musk or any of these names uh, and all the ones that that are less publicly visible uh, you know they they asked me why i think their intentions are bad and i said well but but this level of wealth is inherently wrong i mean this level level of wealth is is can't be justified there is there is no justification for it uh the migration of wealth from you know, the bottom 90% of the planet to the top 1% now, essentially, uh, is all but complete. They already essentially own the planet. Um, they don't yet control the planet, but they essentially own it already. And yet this doesn't seem to... to um, To make anybody uncomfortable not very many people uncomfortable or rather i should say it it makes a lot of there's a lot of people that it does not make uncomfortable they see this as simply um, a natural outgrowth of how capitalism works or something and uh, they may say yes well he has too much but you know it doesn't cause them any great concern and they always come back to why i why i would think the intentions of such people a klaus schwab for example why i think the great reset um is a nefarious project you know and and uh i'm i'm a little stupefied by that frankly i i almost don't know where to begin answering it um but hiroyuki
3: yeah I think the uh, uh, the absurdity of the uh, uh, enormous wealth accumulation is. Um, I, I think it's really a really fundamental thing because uh, that's where the uh, structural um, uh, impediments uh, for the people. Uh, comes from the the it, the it, the what we face as oppression, what we face as uh, draconian measures are uh, these are all manifestation of the structural arrangement of this huge uh, wealth accumulation. And I mean the fact that we have contradictions, well, we can point out contradictions. Uh, There's so many of them, but and people do connect those dots, but there is a big media um, orchestration um, uh, before it. Every time people start to do that, there'll be a conspiracy and uh, you know, you can't really get through um, this enormous uh, uh, brute force of the uh, 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 propaganda capacity, which comes from the wealth disparity they have this enormous wealth to do what they want to push on people this is um i mean this is the uh, the shape of the wealth they accumulated you know so you know what i mean it's absolutely it's, look uh, i mean just you know i think
0: we we the four of us and and the people we know who who have, have devoted some time to, to analyzing and researching all of this. Um, We take for granted almost the level of censorship that is in play already, just as an example uh, on Twitter or Facebook, all of the social media platforms, there's enormous censorship, Google search engine um, increasingly, makes it hard to find uh, dissident articles, Marxist sites. It, you know, They used to be on page two, then they were on page six. Now they don't exist or they're on page 106. Uh, critical voices are, are gradually being eliminated, um, disappeared. And uh, it's such a, I take it for granted now. I don't you know i i figure you know anything um that that the potential has the potential for for any sort of threat to the status quo was simply going to be eliminated so you're you're you know you're fighting this rear guard action all the time and and it's both exhausting and and a bit difficult to Remind oneself of all the time that that the censorship is already acute mm-hmm. and draconian at this point. Um, yeah, Johan.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was just going to. Maybe I'm a bit naive, but I wouldn't. I don't think that most people who are making these major decisions, most people in the ruling class, are necessarily nefarious with regard to their purposes or intentions. I, I just see it as people trying to solve problems from the perspective of an immensely destructive system. Uh, but anyway, I may be right or wrong. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Marx, uh, one of his uh, major arguments for the insustainability of c- capitalism, the, the tendency of the rate of profit to fall? Have you heard of this construct? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the argument is basically that the ratio of the profit to the uh, amount of invested capital decreases over time for various reasons. I think this is a sound theory. I think it's empirically verified. If if not for any other reason, I, I think this was Mark's explanation also that there's just that much surplus value that you can extract from each worker if the worker is to actually survive to, to the next day. Uh, and I think that this massive digitalization and commodification of of like every personal interaction and type of data can be thought of uh, as a way to address this fundamental problem that's at the heart of of the uh, unsustainability of capitalism and the recurring crises and so on. It's like a, a new way to create markets when we already have very saturated ones. Uh, we produce surplus value in in every interaction and in everything we do as human beings, even when we sleep, when we use these health monitor apps and so on. And I was wondering if Corey could uh, could chime in on, you've, you've spoken about how personal data is an, an entirely new type of resource and asset. And I was wondering if you have any perspective on how it could make a difference from the perspective of the global corporations and enable new types of profit in a, in a very scarce era.
1: Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think I can answer that right now. I'd, I'd really have to put some some um, critical thought into that one. Well, I mean I, that, that's I mean IMF just came out in their um, winter issue with the new data economy. Um, you know, I've been reading that I've been watching in the I, th- I believe this month, just a couple of weeks ago, the World Economic Forum had a global technological governance summit talking about the, um, data and children data, um, how to exploit it, you know, the new markets, but I don't really have anything can um, I, I can't really articulate um, anything.
0: Well, if I can just say one, I mean, <laughs> yeah. one, one response to that is, is to talk about hegemony. And, um, of course, Gramsci was the, you know, the, the most famous theorist and, and the one who kind of defined the modern use of that term. But what we're seeing is a strange uh, moment in, in the, the trajectory of, of capitalism in which, there is this manufacturing of new markets, but it is also you know, the hegemony is such that that there really is no competition in many markets. They own, you know, the, the consolidation is so extreme that, you know, like Amazon, for example, um, there's no competition to, to Amazon. And I said last time you know amazon is quite happy to sell you books about um hegemony <laughs> because it doesn't matter it's not a threat to them they own everything they own all the distribution they own all the advertising they own all the you know um uh delivery systems and and this is this is kind of what what one is facing now is is the consolidation reached a point and, and this migration of wealth to the top one percent that that went into you know hyperdrive under Obama mm. um, is reaching completion and and so there there is a there is a, a kind of disfigurement of these to some degree these traditional Marxist definitions although I think without Marx uh, you, you really can't even begin to talk about it. And, and that's why you see um, influencers and so much uh, uh, sort of anti-Marxist sentiment and and rhetoric on social media and and various media platforms it's just a constant litany of ridicule directed at marx oh if you're a marxist you're just some old fuddy-duddy you don't understand we're in this new age of ai and and deterritorialized labor and all these things and a lot of these catchphrases are mostly just gibberish but but uh, what is what and and would require a, a enormous length of time to to really articulate in any in any exhaustive manner. but but the point is that this rollout of the great reset and the fourth industrial revolution, and all the kind of invented vocabulary and grammar that that has accompanied it, uh is 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 in the service of uh of of the the final you know absolute contraction of of uh, competition and markets and and all the things we normally associate with capital i mean we're looking at and a lot of people have said this of course better than i'm saying it right now but we're looking at a kind of new feudalism or something Mm -hmm. because um, the power of the people who are are pushing this this sort of massive agenda um, is unprecedented. I mean, I mean, we're looking at unprecedented concentration of power and and influence and their ownership of the media is virtually complete and and just as a footnote i expect the censorship to get much worse soon um i don't expect you know that that um even our tiny incursions into the the great consciousness out there um, on social media or things like this podcast are even going to be allowed necessarily for very much longer unless there is some kind of pushback from people. Um, Yeah, Corey.
1: Mm, Yeah, I think um, when you say it's unprecedented and I and it is and that's because it's a massive project. We're actually talking about restructuring the entire global economic system and global society, and that's to save, um, um, you know, the failing capitalist system that basically if it, if they can't get this right and restructure it, it collapses, right? Under 300, what is it, $300 trillion of debt now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll probably see that reset as well um, within, I'm not sure when, like, maybe within the year, I'm not sure. Um, But I think it's also important to not forget, not get too much caught up in, you know, the technological um, drama, because there's also other things that are happening um, as, I mean, we're distracted by so many things now, mainly COVID thing, right? It's, I think it's apt to say, 1% 1% virus, 99% propaganda, fear induced right. propaganda. Um, what's happening? Well while well, well everyone's completely um, distracted by that, not only do you have um, the 5G rollout, right? When they talk about your health, they, they certainly don't care about it when it comes to 5G, which scientists have been warning on for years. Um, that's rolling out that's the foundational structure to uphold the whole the whole um, fourth industrial revolution architecture without 5g there is no fourth industrial revolution architecture that's happening at breakneck speed and as well other things um carbon markets that's not even being spoken about um, that's all under the guise of net zero emissions which have nothing to do with zero emissions net zero does not mean zero um they need to scale. At least 15 times and potentially they're talking about 160 times the current level so we've right. got massive carbon markets um right now being um worked on being rolled out Um that's something no one's watching as well you know um gates zuckerberg bezos ben- benioff they all Um, launched Breakthrough Energies at the Paris Climate Conference in 2015, which is Mission Innovation, which is partnered with 22 states in the European Union. And the focus there is nuclear energies, nuclear carbon capture storage, carbon capture storage to capture emissions, um, pump them underground, pump them into the ocean. You know, again, we've talked about the mining of oceans. All these things under the guise of saving biodiversity and climate it's a joke it's a bad joke
2: right um,
1: it's just bullshit. i just want to yeah. say
0: one thing because i kind of keep forgetting this and i see uh, johan i'll go to you it it's important to remember that at the same time that there is this this um <clears throat> marketing of, of the Great Reset and all these new technologies and AI, the drumbeat of AI that goes on all the time. Um, and a lot of it is illusion and and simply propaganda. But one has to remember that, that the U.S. remains this massive imperialist power, and they continue to have 900 military bases around the world, outside their borders, in virtually every country, on the planet, and <clears throat> they continue to spend trillions of dollars on defense. It is still the largest industry in the world, and they continue to inflict enormous suffering on the global south. And Biden is going to be far worse than Trump in terms of foreign policy. We're already seeing um, the, the what what is being pointed toward. Um, In his foreign policy, he's already in Syria, he's moving troops, he's declared Russia, you know, an existential enemy of some sort, um, based on nothing. And uh, this is, this is what the US does. And it's, it's important to not separate that, that institutional governmental violence that is the United States war machine from everything else, because that is ongoing. And the whole discussion of Africa could take up another couple of hours if we wanted to, because we're seeing the recolonizing of Africa. So while everything is on, we're talking about so much of this, not everything, so much of it is unprecedented, which is true. Um, There's also a lot that hasn't changed. And Uh, there's also big chunks of the world that, um, Mm. are not, uh, you know, wired into social media the way we are and don't see, um, the, the level of, of propaganda that we see. This is the, um, the people that live on a dollar a day and, and, Mm. um, don't own anything and are completely dispossessed and under constant assault. And that's. I think crucial to remember in all of this. Yeah, Johan and then Hiroyuki.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think you're exactly right that we, we need to, to get to step back and look at the, the physical economy and the, the material reality if we are to understand the situation. And also Corey, I think you're exactly right that we must take into account that the system is in, in deep crisis and with these uh, in mind, I, I think that there is a fruitful perspective here in, in the basic Marxist analysis, which would see the, the great reset as a kind of desperate move to, to, to get at those savory pockets of surplus value that we couldn't previously extract to, to shore up this unsustainable system for a little while longer. It's, it's a desperate move in a sense.
3: Um, Hiroyuki. Right. I, I, I totally agree with uh, Johan. Um, I was going to uh, just emphasize that um, the uh, the old thing is stemming from the uh, capitalist contradiction of too much wealth. They, they just um, have too much and people can't uh, participate. And that that's not good for the um, um, capitalism either. So this problem needs to be solved by imperial aggression, um, digitalization of everything so that things are gonna be more manageable, um, uh, more draconian uh, policies are uh, implemented uh, in the name of saving probably children uh, to begin with and, you um, um, Everything in the carbon um, schemes and uh, all that, uh, the green capitalism, um, everything is um, um, termed as a crisis and uh, they are used as mobilization um, to uh, implement capitalist agendas. And uh, I think it's it's really if we look step back and look at it, it's a really simple um, things going on. And as we get closer, it's totally messy and complicated, and uh, it's hard to figure things out. But uh, it's, it's it really helps to uh, step back a little bit and uh, see uh, see what capitalism is doing. I think. I just want to make
0: one comment. I see that Corey, you have your hand up. I feel like a teacher in first grade. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I, I appear on press TV um, pretty regularly. And, and so uh, the sanctions that the U S have leveled against Iran um, is a, is a topic that crops up quite a bit. And something happened the other day. And I was thinking how um, the, the justification for the sanctions against Iran, which are hurting the people of Iran a great deal. I mean, there's a medical embargo and, and things like that uh, are because of the alleged crackdown on protests in twenty nineteen. Now, whether that's true or not, is actually kind of beside the point, because in the interim, um, U.S. and Israeli forces have assassinated two or three, I forget, nuclear scientists, Iranian nuclear scientists, just assassinated extra legally in violation of all international law, just assassinated these guys. Um, The U.S., with the help of Mossad, assassinated General Soleimani on neutral ground. Uh, And this doesn't even, is not even you know mentioned. There's no, nobody saying we should sanction the United States for um, this violence. Um, and and uh, the the king, uh, functioning king of Saudi Arabia, Bin Salman, who's a murderous sociopath, sent his private hit squad, the Tiger Squad, to uh, torture and murder. Uh, the the journalist Khashoggi uh, in Istanbul and the the Turkish intelligence recorded the torturing, which was done leisurely. And then they once he was dead, they chopped his body up into pieces because the Tiger squad travels with their own forensic tools, bone saws and such. Uh, And then they brought it all back to um, Bin Salman in uh, Riyadh. And yet I haven't heard any government official in the U.S. suggesting a sanction of Saudi Arabia for for And this, there's ample evidence. I mean, it's recorded. Everybody knows what happened. But but that's the level of media control that one is facing. It's just extraordinary. These kind of contradictions pass without without any notice. Yeah, Corey.
1: Yeah, I guess just um, adding to the conversation on imperialism and militarism, just, you know, reiterating that the um, Great Reset, the Fourth Industrial Revolution architecture, the Build Back Better, Green New Deal, Global Green New Deal, whatever you would like to call it, um, is completely absolutely an imperial project. And if you, I think everyone I subscribe to uh, newsletter from mining.com and anyone who's still under any kind of illusion that what we're going into is in any way sustainable should subscribe to uh, mining.com and your um, illusions will quickly um, be dispelled because it is anything but sustainable um, what we're headed into and definitely states are now, um, you know, looking at, you know, the acquisition of minerals and mining and, and all these on rare earth resources as part of their security. So, you know, in governments, so it's, um, you'll learn more from that site, what's covered from a business perspective than you'll ever learn from any, um, NGO that serves capital such as Greenpeace, which incidentally helped with the creation of We Mean Business back in, I think, 2015. Yeah, I just wanted to add that. Well,
0: it, it, and it bears repeating yet again just how compromised um, most uh, international NGOs, groups like Amnesty International. Um, for example are completely a tool of US propaganda they're they're completely um, uh, carry out the the message of the US State Department and uh, you can't find any of these organizations at this point um, that are not compromised I mean and that was part of actually I keep re- referencing my blog post but that was part of what got me writing it was, um, the the nature of, uh, of of this kind of control and and the manufacturing of these definitions that then kind of filter into the populace as 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 a given um, and and it's you know it, it for those of us who have followed these stories and, and the evolution of these organizations um it it, one gets tired of repeating the same stuff because uh this has been happening for quite some time it's not it's not a new phenomenon u.s imperialism has been doing this for 60 years um yeah corey oh
1: sorry my hand's still up from before
0: (laughs) johan
2: yeah i was just gonna want to i want to pose a question to all of you I, i I used to read uh, a guy named Robert McChesney, uh, maybe 16 years ago, or so a uh, uh, media scholar of the US, and he argued, I suppose, together with like Noam Chomsky and Ralph Nader and these people that we need a media reform that, that we need to, and, and the, there, uh, his idea was that we, we could go by legislation and, and these avenues to, to produce some kind of democratization of the, the global corporate media. And I think I mean he, he was he was correct, of course he was right, but uh, I don't think that's a realistic prospect today, but maybe there is some merit to it maybe it could be done in a different way and i was i want to ask you what how do you what what your perspectives on this idea in general is do you think this could be done how could it be done how can we go about it if so
0: um does anybody want to answer that i um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, what I see today in terms of media, I'm not sure this is answering your question, but um, is is such a deeply entrenched system of um of uh, propaganda of, of very controlled message, and Hollywood is of course always a great example because it's a it's an enormously influential. Um, industry and and all you have to do is watch any network or major cable outlet any of their new tv shows for this season uh and they're fewer than normal because of of the covid restrictions but there's still a good many of them and they all uniformly um reflect the message of of the government outline for COVID. People are wearing masks. People are getting vaccinated. People are are getting telehealth care. I've seen several shows where people visit doctors via Zoom. Um, Education is talked about in terms of, you know, um, remote learning. Um, And these things are all treated as uh, virtues, as signs of progress, and that we are um, saving the planet somehow through these strange measures. And cutting across this is, and this is not not left Hollywood product for 40 years, but cutting across it is the constant valorization of um, the authority apparatus of the US military, domestic police departments. Um, And because of a lot of the protests associated with the the killing of unarmed black men in the US, Uh, there will be episodes devoted to police reform that this was just you know a few bad apples and we desperately we the police desperately want to correct these these um aberrations and return to you know restitch the fabric of society so that we're back to you know the well-functioning well-oiled status quo that we all know and love um and and this is the message and uh it it is now told through a a system of almost ritualized formula. It, 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 you know, I write about this so much, but, but the the narratives are barely narratives anymore. Um, they're, Mm -hmm. they're sort of a perspective for a narrative perspectives for a narrative. Uh, And, and they're increasingly childlike infantile, um, subliterate and, Uh, that's that's what people that's what people digest that's what is the you know the the electronic diet that that people absorb and it's um it's pernicious it's it's diabolical and yet there's there's rather a breathtaking lack of criticism of this stuff of of that a critique of that industry is sorely lacking yeah corey
1: Um, Just following up on your mention of remote um, education, remote um, quote-unquote learning, and um, literacy. There was a release, um, Ontario recently, um, from the newsroom of the Ontario government, Ontario moves schools to remote learning following the spring break. Continued rise in COVID-19 cases demands shift to protect students and staff and slow community spread. So this was April 12th. Um, from the office of the premier and you know if you go down it's quite long but if you read it all instead of just like a paragraph or the headline if you go down to the very last quick fact listed prior to April break more than 99% of students and staff did not have a current case of COVID-19. Since September 99.2% 99.2% of students and 98%, 98.6% of staff never reported a COVID-19 case. I mean, that's right in the release.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, we're sort of getting to the end of, I mean, mm-hmm. this goes by so fast these days, these mm-hmm. podcasts, but um, uh, one of the things that people are going to, Be asking um, those of us with dissenting opinions um, is going to be brazil but what about brazil Um, they won't ask about you know texas for example but but because that's a conservative state and it's a conservative governor and so it just has to be associated with trump and it's not relevant Um, and and the brazil narrative is 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 particularly difficult to talk about because it requires some historical understanding and and geopolitical understanding that um, is not easily and, and quickly explained. But my sense is there is enough opposition out there that's growing. I think there is a growing opposition to the lockdowns um, everywhere. It's not nearly, to the extent that we would like, or or that is going to disrupt the the, the you know the, the government policy, I don't think. But there is a growing opposition. So, like clockwork, as predictable as anything can be, a story such as Brazil comes up, and um, you know I can only say, remember the babies torn from incubators. That's all I can say, because I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But, but it was predictable that there would be a deadly variant that killed children. That's um, absolutely predictable. And I don't have enough information to say more than that right now. But yeah, Hiroyuki.
3: I was just going to say uh, a little bit about the uh, uh, the difficulty of establishing anything that can counter the, uh, um, the, the corporate narratives. Uh, I think that's really... Uh, coming from the fact that the system really can't uh, cultivate um, uh, cohesive, legitimate uh, dissent. Uh, Even though they would want to uh, uh, come up with something phony and uh, uh, that would trap people, um, they would have to colonize actual organic social relations That are going against the system. So they would support dissent. They would um, um, subsidize people dissenting and uh, they would create what we're doing too, you know, Facebook. It's absolutely true. It's a really good point. Yeah. So it's, it's really difficult to say anything um, about this because they they're basically, they have this farm and they can cultivate anything. They can cultivate poison. They can cultivate anything. Um, and then they can harvest them. So this is really, again, it's a structural problem. We really have to look at it. And this is coming from the fact that there is enormous accumulation of power and wealth. Well, it's hegemony,
0: hegemony, hegemony, hegemony. Um, and I just want to, my final thought for today, and then Johan, Corey, give me yours, um, is is the absence of radical artistic expression, mm-hmm. radical artistic voices that um, that I can remember from the Vietnam era, certainly, i I wrote a whole thing about Robert Bly, who is amazingly still alive, a national treasure. And he's in his nineties now, but um, those poets against the Vietnam war were a profound influence. And the underground press was a profound influence, but historically going back, you see the role of, um, of art, of culture, the the avant garde at a certain point was the term given in the beginnings of modernism, but there have always been uh, voices uh, from outside the mainstream, and they're they're very few today. Now they're rendered invisible, the ones that are, and this goes back to the you know hegemony and control of the media and everything again, um, but. Uh, there what one sees uh is now kind of we're into the second generation of really domesticated um artists as a as a as a profession or something um and it's dispiriting and it's it's of crucial importance that <clears throat> that there be those those voices and um it's also could be filed under the eradication of working class voices in media, in Hollywood um, and and everywhere else. Uh, the, the class segregation has never been more acute, I don't think. Anyway, Johan, Corey, any final thoughts?
1: I guess I'll go first. I guess my final thought is um, the Ontario government put in um, another, I guess the most fascist lockdown yet went into effect last night at 1230, um, um, with extended police powers. Um, I'm not sure if that's been rescinded or not, Um, again, no access to children's playgrounds, all this nonsense. I mean, in Ontario, spring came early, it's been here for almost a month, it's absolutely beautiful outside the if you if we want the virus to subside and you know go outside open your windows go outside you know take your kids to the forest that's that's what health is that's a health measure right that's all that has to be done this is totally ridiculous fear-mongering just to keep it going um the only way to get people to accept these vaccinations is to keep the fear um you know fear in the media. That's what this is. Nothing more. It's absolutely atrocious. And again, like the more people that get the virus, the better. How else do we expect to get herd immunity? We don't, I mean, why are we taking experimental vaccines to gain herd immunity that has almost a 100% recovery, infection recovery rate? That makes no sense whatsoever.
3: You know, it's,
1: it. it, this was never about no one getting this virus that cannot be prevented, right? It was about not overwhelming hospitals, which never happened. So again, just so, so many, um, so much, um, so many lies.
0: Yeah. Um, Johan, yeah, I, I've, I've mentioned
2: previously that I, I find no subcultures anymore. And I, I think this you describe as a, as a fundamental poverty of culture. It, it's, it's really true, but, but it's, it can also be thought of as an, as an opportunity. It implies to me that there's a significant space for, for a deep cultural renewal I don't know, maybe in the shape of one of these Adyanaika things or post-plague dancing manias, because, you know, people fed on, on this pabulum all their lives and then first finding Dostoevsky, they do recognize that there's something really different here, something substantial. So maybe this media reform that's necessary could could effectively be catalyzed by some form of underground cultural renewal, because... If people are starved for it, it, it's going to grow by itself and it will find other avenues than the corporate media and the digital platforms, which people inherently and at a deep level really do dislike.
0: I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think it's a good place to end, actually, um, because I think that's true. I mean, there are a lot, a lot of people out there starved for what you describe, and who are aware of the fear mongering and aware of the absurdity of so much of the information coming out of um, official uh, outlets. So, yeah, I th- i would second that. All right, guys, thank you so much, uh, Hiroyuki, Johan, Corey, and um, thanks to Jack Littman, as always, for uh, helping us with this. So, um, we'll talk soon.
3: Thank you. Take care. Thank you. See you later,
0: guys.